Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text for today from the Epistle Lesson, the sixth chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, these words. Pray also for me that in the opening of my mouth words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am now an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak it boldly as I ought. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. A little more than a week ago, when I was visiting a member in one of our area hospitals, a nurse came into the room and I greeted her, and she responded in kind, adding a few light-hearted comments about the German accent that our member had, to which I then said, and my guess is, is that you're a native Minnesotan, aren't you? And she replied, how in the world did you know that? And I said, it's in your voice, in the vowel sounds, in the accent, it's all distinctly Minnesotan. And our conversation was off and running as we shared common origins, as we talked about a common identity that we had. Speech patterns, to some degree, will identify us, don't they? You can certainly hear that in the voice of someone who is from the eastern part of our country as they use their R's, as they use their A's. And certainly you heard that in the voice of Ted Kennedy, whom our nation has uh, been paying a lot of attention to these past days in his death. The whole Kennedy clan and the way that they would speak with that Bostonian English that they had obvious in so many of his speeches. Those of you who are from the South also have your certain speech patterns that you use, that Dixie dialect, that extended drawl, which you all know identifies where you all come from. There's that distinct precision of the English, the brogue of the Irish, the intense inflection of the Italians, speaking with their hands so often, the more guttural sounds of the Germans, and more than many of you have commented on the Scandinavian inflection that you, that you might even hear in my voice from time to time. You see, it's not simply our names, it's not simply our numbers that are associated with it, be it social security numbers or credit card numbers or license plate numbers or license numbers. It's not simply numbers or names that identify us, but so often speech identifies us, our voices identify us, telling others who we are, what we believe, what we commit ourselves to in life. In fact, there's an interesting case in scripture where identification by speech was a life and a death matter. One of the champions of God's people who lived about 1100 BC, his name was Jephthah, led God's people into battle against two rebellious tribes and having captured the fords the crossing places where they would go over the Jordan River from one side of the river to the other. Jephthah, at God's command, ordered his troops that whenever a stranger would cross and attempt to cross the ford from one side of the river to the other, what, he was, what they were supposed to say to the stranger was to ask him if he was from Ephraim. If he said, no, I'm not, then he was ordered to say the Hebrew word shibboleth, which means stream. If instead of saying Shibboleth, the man wanting to cross would say Sibboleth, he was to be immediately incarcerated because only those of Ephraim would say Sibboleth instead of Shibboleth. 
And so just a little difference in pronunciation made all the difference in someone crossing that stream. And it marked a man clearly as being from this tribe or from that tribe of Israel. You see, we all have, and even back in biblical times, we have those certain identifying features and those distinct characteristics that identify us as to who we are and who we're associated with, something else that we're associated with, or even more importantly, someone else with whom we're associated by what we say in our lives, by what we confess. And today, dear friends, I would submit to you without any reservation or hesitation that the identification in all of life that is more important to you than any other identification and association that you make is your association with an identification with Jesus Christ. That is an association and an identity that you have that secures eternity for you, doesn't have a bearing on simply who you are now and who you associate with now in this world. It has eternal implications. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, our Lord Jesus says, I will acknowledge him before my Father which is in heaven. He who denies me before men, I will deny, he says, before my Father which is in heaven. These are eternal implications. These are irrevocable and irreversible ramifications. And what other association with any other person or group do you have in the world that has these kinds of implications for eternity? None, I would say. There, therefore, no association with any group that you have in this world, be it the government, because certainly the government can go in wrong directions, as has happened throughout history, as happened with the Old Testament Israel, as was spoken of in the Old Testament lesson today, that talks about how blessed the nation is that knows the Word of God, but Israel would go astray. Nations throughout history have gone astray clearly from the Word of God. Repeatedly the pattern is there. And so no association with government, no association with career, which always comes to an end with school, with club, with any group of friends as loyal as they may be to me, as loyal as I may be to them, no association should be as important to me in life as my association, as your association with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because no other breaks the barrier between God and man, no other relationship bridges two worlds as that one singular relationship that you have with Jesus. Not even something as important as my family. And these indeed are those who would be dearest to us in all this world. Nothing, not even family, not even family, should supersede my association, my identification with Jesus Christ. Indeed, because we all would be more inclined to idolize those familial faces which are nearest to us and are dearest to us in this world, to idolize those and put them even before God, even though God says, Thou shalt have nothing else before me. And perhaps it's because we're inclined to idolize even family that our Lord Jesus puts it so succinctly. And he says, He who loves father or mother more than me, is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me 
is not worthy of me. And that's why what God says to you today in the Old Testament lesson is so imperative and important. Take heed, he says, take care. Keep your soul diligently. Make these things known to your children and to your children's children. Because it's that one association that means more to them too than anything in all of eternity. He indeed, God, who loves even us more than we can love ourselves, certainly is the one who cares more for us than we can care for ourselves. And he indeed who loves even his own life here on earth then, more than Christ, and will not contend against the sinful passions which wage war here against Christ, because our old sinful nature does, along with the devil and the world which are there, but rather like Faust of old, exchange his soul for earth's promises and all of earth's powers for a short period of 60, 70, 80 years, is certainly among those of whom Jesus speaks when he says, he who loves his life in this world loses it. But he who has lost his life in this world for my sake will find it. So you see, to be identified with Christ, that without doubt is the most important identification there is in your life. How does it happen? How does that identification with Christ happen? It's not because of something you have done. It's not because of something that you did or will do. It's because of what God has already in his grace done for you. It's accomplished only by the Spirit of God for Jesus for the scripture has made it clear that no one can save and that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Why not? Because as Luther so vividly put it, we are infected, he said, with the poison of original sin from the bottom of our foot to the top of our head. And right in the middle of all of that is the human heart. And you heard what Jesus said in today's gospel about the human heart, the heart out of which Jesus says comes evil thoughts, immorality, Murder, adultery, slander, coveting, wickedness, all of these things, he says, come from within. We're not defiled, he says, by that which is out there that comes into us. Be it food or anything else, we're defiled rather by that which is within us and goes out into the world. And that's why the Holy Spirit, full of grace, works through his inscripturated word when it's read and when it's preached and when it's taught and connects it with baptismal waters as he did yesterday with little Aidan Thomas Phillips who was baptized at that font and God's word working to do what never could have been done within him were it not for the word of God as he connected that little child as he connected you in times past to Jesus Christ upon the cross don't you know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death the promises of scripture the word of God working through water to connect us to Christ and him crucified and all that he did for us upon the cross to establish with us that association, that relationship, a lifelong association and identification with the Lord of eternal life. That's how your identity in Christ was firmly established by God himself. It didn't rest upon you or a decision you made, it rested upon God and it's this decision of grace and the work of grace that he made and accomplished. Though we by nature were far removed, far removed from any association with him, he came into this world to associate with us. He came to associate with sinners. 
He came to seek and to save that which was lost, Scripture says. He, Scripture says, partook of our flesh and of our blood, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And so also, Scripture says, he had to be made like us in all things, that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. You see, Jesus wasn't afraid. He wasn't too proud or reluctant to identify himself with you, with the likes of us. And when the Pharisees and the teachers of law accused him of doing just that, saying, look at him, he associates even with sinners, indeed he even eats with them, what did Jesus do? He didn't deny it. But he confirmed it in word and deed. Yes, indeed, that's what I do. I associate with sinners because I am here for sinners. And not only will I eat with them, but I will create for them a meal that extends beyond all others, a meal in which they will receive my very body and my very blood. The most intimate form of relationship. And he creates that association with sinners like us. And when it got hot in the kitchen for him, he didn't go running out on us saying in Pharisaic fashion, I don't know these people. I don't know who these sinners are. Don't associate with me. Don't associate me with them. He didn't say that. When it got hot in the kitchen, Christ climbed up on the stove and he put himself there upon the cross saying in essence, yes, Father, identify me with those sinners. Associate me with the sins of those sinners. Look at me and see them. Look at my heart and see all that comes from their heart. The evil thoughts, the immorality, the theft, the murder, the adultery, the greed, the malice, the deceit, all of those things listed in today's gospel. Look at me and see that. Look at me and see all that's within them and give me, he said, what they deserve. And that's just what God the Father did. He identified us with his only begotten Son. And he identified his Son with us. And he made him, Scripture says, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that in him we may be the righteousness of God. Now in Christ Jesus, Scripture says, you who were formerly far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Jesus Christ. And so then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints, and you now are, therefore, because of him, members of the household of God. Forever the sons and the daughters of God, because of what God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has done for you, in identifying you with himself. Now, if you doubted it before, is there really anything that's more important in life than leaving here today to know that you are identified with him? That you can go forth from here and saying, I'm his, and he is mine because of what he's done and continues to do? Is there anything that should give you more strength as you go out there to confront not only the evils of the world, but the problems and the troubles and the trials of life, being strong in the Lord, 
as our epistle lesson for today says, putting on the full armor of God so that when the time comes you can stand firm in the face of whatever is there against you and you can hold firm and you can hold your ground. That's what St. Paul did, isn't it? That's what he's talking about even in today's text in the epistle lesson. There he was, one wrist of his probably chained to some Roman soldier that was right there beside him in such close proximity to him that he could see with his very own eyes what that Roman soldier was wearing, the uniform that he had on, the loose and the floppy garment called a tunic that stretched down to the knees, meant to be loose so that the soldier when marching, exercising, or doing other daily tasks would have flexibility of movement and he wouldn't be constrained, wouldn't get too warm even in what he was doing, but set that soldier against an adversary and the belt that he was wearing would be used and the tunic would be slipped up into that belt and the belt which would hold that tunic tightly in lest the enemy would be able to grab his tunic and pull him down to the ground. You wear a belt too, St. Paul says. You know what belt it is that you wear? The belt of truth, scriptural truth, truth of Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. You wear that belt buckled, fastened about your waist. The truth of God's word, which if you don't add to it or subtract from it, as the Old Testament lesson today says, will keep you from giving something to your opponent that he can grab and pull you down with. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled about your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, the righteousness that, of Christ that covers and guards our very hearts and our very lives and fitted with the shoes of the gospel of peace which like a Roman soldier's boots grips well on all kinds of surfaces and provides him footing wherever he must go. Belt, breastplate, shoes, Paul saw them all right there and the soldier that was so close to him as he was in prison, that ambassador in chains. And oh yes, don't forget the shield that Paul might well have seen. The shield of faith, that large oblong shield behind which Roman soldiers would crouch when they were attacked by sword or by spear or arrow. The notched shield that had little notches in the side of it so that each Roman soldier could put his shield interlocking with the shield of the soldier beside him to provide that impenetrable barrier between him and the, the arrows that were coming at them. The shield of faith linking yours with others around you as even today you do in the community of faith within the fellowship of the church that you may, he says, together extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the enemy. Belt, breastplate, shoes, shield, we're almost there. Paul, the ambassador in chains, must have thought as he looked at that noble soldier beside him. And then he sees also upon that soldier the helmet and the sword, the helmet of salvation, which through faith in Christ is already ours, protecting our heads from a fatal blow. And of course, the sword of the Spirit, which Scripture identifies clearly as being what? The Word of God. That Word that we yield, that one offensive weapon 
The one offensive weapon, all the rest being defensive, the one offensive weapon in our whole outfit and uniform is that word of God that we, we yield, the powerful word of God, which scripture says elsewhere is sharper than any two-edged sword, the mighty word of God, which Luther said, the world's prince may still scowl fierce as he will. He can harm us none. He's judged. The deed is done. One little word, the sword of the word, one little word can fell him. Will we in our age so gird ourselves with these things of God that they'll identify us clearly as belonging to him? A story is told of Queen Victoria, in concluding, who ruled England for most of the 19th century and is said that she had several daughters who were very much inclined to be like the daughters and the sons of every age. They went to school, they associated with others their age, and they saw, of course, the latest fashions. They wanted to dress as others dressed. They wanted to wear what other children their age wore. Though usually restrained and perhaps even a bit intimidated by the royal status and station of their mother, they did one day conspire to complain together to her about the fact that they couldn't wear their clothes like this and they couldn't wear their hair like that like the other kids did and patiently listening for a good length of time and seeing that any sound arguments were now giving way to emotionally charged and empty rhetoric she finally stopped them short and she had them sit down before her and she calmly said, you my dears are the daughters of a queen. The queen's daughters need not follow fads. The queen's daughters establish fashion. What's true of the queen's daughters is also true in a much higher sense of the sons and the daughters of the king. May we in our day put on the full armor of God. As unfashionable as that may be to this world, may we put it on and may we pray, as Paul did, that we would live to declare that word of God faithfully, boldly, fearlessly as we should, for in so doing we confess him. In so doing, we identify with him who was not ashamed to be identified with us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.